fresh, need to drink right away. So we got uh, two IPAs and a chocolate coffee cream stout. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah. Mm. Actually, I have my notebook today, too, so I'm prepared. Ooh. Yeah, I, Whoa. I forgot what we were calling the last week's episode, so the titles what is uh, I forgot the title. I think I saw that. Yeah. Don't recall that one. That's what happened. That's what happened. Alright. Uh, Chris, I'm gonna turn it up here a little bit. <clears throat> three forty nine. Yep. In uh in three, two, one. Hey guys, welcome to the Bag and Boardcast episode number three hundred and forty nine. I'm Chris. I'm John. And I'm Paul. I was waiting for you to go, Paul, for some reason. I was ready to go right into the list. <laughs> I was not. I was not focusing. We're a weekly podcast that comes to you in three ways when we can focus on them. Yeah, the first being the Week in Geek, bringing you the top geek stories of the past week. Next is the list, which I am most excited for. Not really. Uh, and that is August 23rd, 2017, and we're looking forward to books coming out on that day. Yes, we are. <laughs> we follow that up with our weekly main topic. And this week we're actually going to be do for a little bit now. Um, this is something I'm calling the Great Marvel Movie Retrospective, where we're going to be taking a look back at all the Marvel movies as they release chronologically, um, and just their impact on maybe the Marvel Cinematic Universe, maybe the larger uh, cinematic universe, is how they lean into everything else and kind of led the way. Uh, we're going to start off with 2008's Iron Man. Yeah. yeah. John Favreau helmed Iron Man. Yeah. Yes. But, uh, you know, John Favreau was happy in that movie. And you know what makes us happy? Drinking beer. Exactly. I shoehorned that segue like a... You sure did. Like a maid. You did. And Chris, what are you drinking today? Uh, I'm drinking a beer from Bell's Brewing out of uh, Michigan. I think we went there on beercation. Yes, yes, we did. Yes, we did. Pretty sure we did. Yeah, okay. had the uh, jalapeno or habanero Oberon. Yeah, that was the one that sticks out in my mind, and I'm like, yeah, I don't think I like bells. <laughs> um, well, they have a lot of solid beers, and I'm drinking one that might not be so solid from them. And this is uh, their Pool Time Ale. It's a Belgian inspired wheat ale brewed uh, with cherry juice. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely a Belgian style beer, uh, but then you get kind of like that cherry tart on the back end. It's not like an overly syrupy sweet. It's more just like a like a tart cherry. It's not bad. Uh, lends itself well to the kind of Belgian spice, but it's not not my favorite of the three that I have for today. Mm. So it's pool time. Spoilers, spoilers, I did pick up like six packs of each of these and then just started to drink them throughout the weekend because why not? Yeah, it's the weekend. It's the weekend. Uh, and also, uh, spoilers, I drank two bottles of DKML yesterday. Too, so <laughs> so you that. don't remember D- you don't remember yesterday. <laughs> Um, I do. I spaced them out. Like, oh, I had okay. one in the afternoon after I got home from work, and then I had one at night after I got home from other work. Mm. So you are, were not Marty McFly this morning, just so, suddenly no. waking up in the future. <laughs> it's the next day. What? Like, nope. Uh, still in the clothes so, from yesterday. 
I was gonna say it was one of those mornings where I woke up and I was like, "Oh man, what time is it? I feel super rested." And then I looked at my uh, phone; it was nine thirty, and I was like, "Wow, like this this doesn't happen ever." <laughs> nice. Cats didn't wake you up. Um, oh, one of them did, but it was like mm. at some point in the morning, and I just went back to sleep. Hmm. But what are you guys drinking? Hopefully, Weird. it's better than uh, pool time. Uh, it, it is. This is from Other Half Brewery out of New York City, and this is oh, just. Just O. Oh. It's just, just like o. a dramatic reading. It's, it's O H dot 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 dot. Okay. O. O H. O H dot 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 dot. So it could be short for Ohio still. Or short for or other half. Or oh. other half. The, the yeah. brew. Uh, and this is a New England style IPA. This is a maybe around a week old. Um, Everything Paul and I are drinking are beers that I was gifted from people who went to really cool breweries that I didn't go to. Uh, so this is from Other Half. Um, it's a really nice New England style, very rounded hops, no bitter, super cloudy, um, hazy, beyond belief. Um, good little citrus on the front. Nice, nice one. Yeah, it's nice and round. I wouldn't call this a juice bomb, but it does have that juicy it's, flavor to yeah. it. It's just, yeah, like you said, a very nice, mellow, round, full, completely rounded flavor. I do get a little tartness, a little bitterness on the back. Uh, listeners, you can hear it in my uh, recording uh, that I have a cold, so that might be impacting uh, mm. the flavor. I'm going to pour you less well. of everything we are having. Yeah. You should. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I you should. As the third chair, I think that's allowed. Um, but yeah, so um, three different people. I got three different specialty beers from this week, which was kind of fun. Yeah, that is. <laughs> oh, hey, John, uh, I got this for you. Oh, what is it? Oh, what? Uh, I just got back from uh, other half of this or this beer. Which would you like? I'll try the O. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I just got back from... Uh, they all sound like the same person. I know. They're different. They're different people. They're though. different people. Wow. Uh, and, uh, wait, who, who's reading the dramatic reading today? <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, be... I know what voice I'm doing. <laughs> there you go. What are you doing in my cave? Hey, don't don't spoil the dramatic wow. reading. Wow, John. Come on. That's not that's not Take what he says. Out of it. Oh, yeah. Come on. Those are we don't even remember when we well it was I think it was only me when we were trying to sell it that we didn't even understand that act, that was actually happening on the show the dramatic <laughs> ratings were just this complete break in and we I do remember that we weren't even like we would never mention it outside of it because right. it's not mentioned in the top half no in our intro it's a secret well, it's thing like a, it's like a bonus that's yeah. like the the DVD extra feature that you get yeah. it's like uh, guess what happens after the list. Uh, we never remember which order to do the beer or the dramatic reading in. <laughs> we'll have that discussion, and then you'll get one or the other. Yep. It's our show. I mean, we can basically mess with the formula <laughs> however we want. Yeah. But what we always have to start off with uh, after drinking is discussing the week's news, guys. Uh, you know, I feel like it uh, brings us together in such a way. You know, uh, especially when it's great news like... Uh, I don't remember any of the news we were talking well, about. I was oh, say, Pikmin! A new, news story, I don't have a lot to say. Um, Defenders debuted on Netflix. Oh. I, I haven't seen it yet, so I can't say anything else, but I've heard I've heard good things. John, you've watched a couple episodes. Yeah, uh, I've enjoyed it. It's um, bringing all those characters in together, and it seems very organic. Everybody's following a different lead, and they're all meeting up, kind of going to starting to meet up each one of them in different points um 
Luke Cage and Iron Fist meeting, and then uh, Daredevil and uh, Jessica Jones with the scene that you've seen in the trailer where he's, uh, I'm your lawyer, don't say anything. You know, that's where those two characters meet, so. That makes sense. And yeah, that, I like cool. that Power uh, Iron Man and Power Man, but Luke Cage are, are meeting up together. Because, you know, they're here's for hire. He's like kung fu and all over him, and then he's just like, what are you made out of? <laughs> and then Luke Cage's like, I asked you nicely to stop hitting me. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. And he gets walloped by that Iron Fist. Paul's gonna watch it ever, though. No. But if you guys say, hey, it's a lot more just fun, just fun, not so dark. But, um, but it, they also confirmed that for season two of uh, Jessica Jones that Kilgrave is back. Yeah, but he might. It might just be him flashbacks in her flashbacks in her head and stuff like that, or yeah, you know that thing of you know. And who knows? Who knows what happens at the end of this? Maybe they are bringing him back to the hand or whatever. Uh, but I think one of the shining moments so far out of out of this, with you know the characters you've already seen brought to life, but Sigourney Weaver as the villain, uh, I think is doing a really really great job. Is she kind of being portrayed almost like Wilson Fisk was in Daredevil, where you get like big chunks of the episodes devoted to her, or is she kind of just like weaving her way in and out? Like she's weaving her way in and out. Um, she's definitely the head of the hand right now, and it's all these. You get kind of get these little bits, like you're like, man, has she kind of, has she lived forever? And now she's on her on her decline because the first scene you see of her is like they're like you're, you're dying of cancer. And it kind of pushes her forward to finish whatever it is that she had started so many years ago, which is what we've gotten glimpses of in the, the episodes. But she's kind of a badass, um, just by especially like uh, the um, uh, Madam um, Madam Gao. Madam Gao. Madam Gao is taking orders from her, and just seems to be just like. Whatever you say, I'm not talking back to you. And that's a character that's been so strong towards everyone else, and everyone else is afraid Mm -hmm. of her, that now that she's, yes ma'am, whatever you say, it really kind of shows where Sigourney Weaver is in this world. Well, as Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan Kenobi's former teacher said, there's always a bigger fish. Uh, And there might be a bigger movie coming out for Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) Which is the thing that's been teased for a while when people said to Ewan McGregor, would you come back and do this? And he was like, yes, yes, I would. I would love to do that. My movie career is kind of crap. And he's the third person that brought you beer this week. (laughs) He was. (laughs) And he was like, oh, yeah, I'll bring you beer. I brought you this. Do a movie. Uh, But Uh, but, uh, reports coming out that, yes, the long anticipated and discussed and presumed uh, Obi-Wan movie maybe the next uh, Star Wars story that we get after Han Solo and episode 9. Yeah. It, it, it seems rather quick. I, I, I'm i of the impression that uh, maybe maybe Marvel should slow, or not Marvel, but maybe they should slow down a little bit. Uh, figure out where they actually want to go with everything instead of announcing hey, this is the date, this is what we can do, let's get it done. Because we saw had a bunch of reshoots have to happen for Rogue One. We saw a bunch, you know, a new director have to come in for Han Solo. Like, well, why not keep it in the okay, back burner? 
Well, like, why announce now, it? I mean, we've, we've talked about this before, though. The reshoots were to add in the Vader stuff, which was awesome. Right. Nobody's, you know, decrying those. I mean, those were, like, the standout moments in the film. Like, literally, like, in the theater, people were collectively losing their shit over, over Vader. Um, yeah, you know what? Han Solo's had some issues, but, again, that movie doesn't come out until next year. Like, they have time to fix whatever they're working on. And it, it's not like somebody going in for total reshoots for a movie that comes out in November. Yeah. Like <laughs> Justice League. Yeah. Uh, and most movies do go back for reshoots, you know. Right, right. Well, there's always reshoots because the missed. sound didn't quite, you know, get didn't line up with the actual shots, so they have to reshoot some dialogue. Wonder Woman had reshoots. Um, uh, but most movies do. But- and, I and think, this is something that I kind of wanted to say when you were like floating this idea out there for like the whole episode. I, and you even just said it right now, like you want them to take more time to figure out where things are going. Mm-hmm. I don't think they need to, Paul, because what we've gotten so far, we have the Star Wars story, and then we have the actual episodes. The episodes are the ones that they really need to figure out where they're going, what's going to be. The Star Wars story, like Rogue One, Han Solo, and presumably Obi-Wan we get that, we know where those characters kind of came from and where they have to end in the story. Like, So they're just telling that snippet of story. I mean, we bought that Obi-Wan uh, issue that was in Star Wars. I can't remember what uh, number it was, but we did that for the look back a few months ago. It was a great book, and it was all just Obi-Wan being on Tatooine, like watching over Luke from afar. That's that's what I want more. Like, give him like do space stuff, even cooler. But you know what? I I want to see more of that. Just kind of like weathered retired general Obi Wan Kenobi, and I I think they can do that. Uh, I think so too. I think those are the those moments. The best thing out of those prequels was Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor's Obi Wan. All his stuff was always pretty badass, and he's got kind of this cool like. I'm going to go to this diner where I know this guy who's going to help me find that galaxy. <laughs> as stupid as that is, mm-hmm. he's got yeah, that. Yeah, that's a stupid part of the way. I don't know why he went to that. But he's got... Yeah, Obi-Wan, buddy! Or whatever. But he's got that crazy I contact. Know. Like, he's got this whole world that we know absolutely nothing about. Mm-hmm. And what they choose to do with this movie and where they line it up, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and I've seen a lot of people floating out, well, if they're going to do this, we should get the Darth Vader hunting you know, Jedi Hunter movie, which I think would be kind of cool, too. Yeah, but which we're, we're kind of getting that in the new Vader series, though. In the comics, yeah. It's and a slow burn. Have you guys been keeping up on that? Oh, because uh, I, haven't, I haven't read number two yet. It's a but slow the thing with that, too, burn. is I, I think we learned from the prequels that too much Anakin or Darth Vader might not be a good thing. Like, <laughs> he works great as the villain or... Just kind of like that antagonist that we had in Rogue One. Like with him, I feel like less is more. What? What? If it's the Jedi hunter, but you're following a group of Jedi's who are, you enjoy, and then Michael Myers slash Jason version of Vader is just uh-huh. stomping towards him, just constantly but, after at, him. At that point, you don't. It's not like a, a Vader movie anymore. You're making me just watch. It's Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. Because, you know, every episode's focused on the villain, and then Batman shows, you know, Batman shows up, doesn't do so great, hangs out with Alfred for two seconds. Alfred says something that's that works into being a pun 
Uh, then we hang out for the villains for the next three minutes. Batman shows up. Done. Lickety split. End of roll credits. You know, like that. Great formula. It works. It works. Yeah. I don't know if I need like a group of Jedi too. I mean, as cool as that kind of might be, I I think I just like know the singular Jedi on the run. Like I I think um, Star Wars Rebels does that great with Kanan and Ezra. Like it's basically just the two of them, and they might cross paths with like Yoda or Sokotano here and there, but for the most part, it's it's their story. Like nobody's kind of fighting for that Jedi screen time. Right. And then again, when you have like that group of Jedi, it's like. Well, they should probably be able to hold their own a little bit better than, you know, the younglings or the Tusken Raiders. <laughs> but Obi-Wan is coming out after episode nine. Yes. So after, so three yeah, years from now? Year. Yeah, basically two three, years. Two, two, three years. So why not? I'm just saying. Yeah, because we're, we're getting Star Wars episode eight this December, then Han Solo's November, I think they said, of 2018. And then we would have episode nine. Or I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, episode nine would be the year after that then, so 2019. So at most right now, it would be 2020 for Obi-Wan. So it's plenty of time. It's well, plenty I'm just having to get that together. If you look at, right. if you look so at why that you're timeline not for Rogue One, that's exactly what they kind of adhere to. It was announced like shortly after um, episode seven, and everyone was like, whoa, like two Star Wars movies in two years? Can we do that? Right. Yeah, like it, it works, and I think it's they have their entire story group working on stuff so they can just be pushing these ideas forward. Like they don't need to work on like Han Solo or Last Jedi anymore because those movies are already in development. Like they might have some like quick fixes or like notes pass over, but they're, they're probably already like cranking stuff out for these. Right. But Rogue One was announced, what, back in 2015 that it was coming out in 2016 or was it, but it wasn't three years. I'm saying, why? Why are you not yeah, well, now? It was, let's it was get less me. than three years. Yeah, let's get your shit together, bring it together, actually have something, and then announce it. Like, why do we need a three year build up? Because it probably right. just signed same, Ian McGregor, and it was going to be news no matter what, because yeah, okay. he just signed up. At the same Star time, Wars though, like thing? this wasn't actually announced though. Like it's all like, oh, there's rumblings. Like people are talking about this at Lucasfilm. Like this whole announcement is the fact that like there's there's talk about it. There's probably been talk about this. For years, which is why we've been discussing it for years, saying like, "Oh, like no, that would be cool. Like, that would be dope." Yeah, it was on Hollywood, and you know, The Verge had it, Hollywood Reporter had it, Forbes has it, has it. Like, uh, you know, I thought it was actually broke. I thought that there was an announcement, but maybe you're right. Maybe it's all just saying that production finally begins. Uh, man, it's. <laughs> Pre-pre-production, though. Yeah, with the famous director. I have no idea who the famous director is. Uh, he did, what was it, um, the movie about the little dancing kid. Oh, Billy, uh, the the movie's Billy something. Yeah, yeah. Not Billy Madison, though. Billy Elliot. Billy Elliot. And then he's doing the Wicked movie that's coming out <clears throat> in 2019. Hmm. Okay, a Wicked movie. That sounds, I guess, fun. Well, people uh, people are crazy yeah. for Wicked, so I think it would work. Mm-hmm. They brought I mean, it. I never in, read the book. I never saw the show. They brought it into Once Upon a Time for some reason. Well, because everybody likes it. Uh, Stephen Daldry. I didn't know that. 
Is the name of the director Stephen Daltry? Daltry? Yep. Yep. Okay. But yeah, so I don't know. I just three years. But yeah, I, I just looked up the uh, the report from Hollywood Reporter, and they say uh, sources say oops sources say talks are in the um, earliest of stages, and the project has no script. Um, if a deal is made, Daltry would oversee the development and writing with Lucasfilm. So. Yeah, it's like early, early, like we said. Early, early. Good. I'm glad it's not an actual announcement. I'm thinking, man, just (coughs) get your stuff together with what you're already working on before you start jumping in with the with a project three that's coming out three years from now. Just and that's that's all my I was saying. That's that's all my point was. But uh, what other news did we have? Uh, the other news is Jonathan Hickman is going to be coming to uh, DC Comic Books. Yeah. Uh, announced pretty much through um, tweets between Jim Lee and uh, Jonathan Hickman. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what he would, what he's going to do. Uh, Big science fiction epic. That's that's what he's going to do. That's what he does. That's what he does. Uh, I've I've enjoyed Jonathan Hickman in the past. I do really like him. He's one of the people who made me like Black Panther. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 excited from this news to see what he's going to write. I think he's a very good writer. Uh, Challengers of the Unknown. Uh, <laughs> that ties into something that they find into modern. You know, it's going to be a three three epoch kind of storyline where it's like going to be something said in the past that's affecting something in the present that affects something in the future. Mm. And Legion of Superheroes are somehow involved with trying to change certain events in uh, those two different timelines. That could be it. Because that sounds like something Hickman would write. <laughs> I That is what I would hope he would write. Challenges? Yeah, but is that is that something you would actually read, though? Because it With Hickman on it, yeah. Because okay, look at his Fantastic Four. Four. Yeah, that that made his. <laughs> yeah, book. but again, that's that's his Fantastic Four. That's a book that Paul has always loved and championed. Like, yeah, that's true. You put him on Legions of Superhero, Legion of Superheroes. Well, like would... Legion of Superheroes like tie-in story. I I don't see us really reading that. Besides for a look back, at which point I'll be like, oh yeah, it's a big sweeping idea, but we don't know or like these characters or so. It, it wouldn't be a really a Legion story. It would be the Legion as the as the viewer point, the the audience point to explore both the past of the DC universe and also the present of the DC universe. So they're the ones like here interacting with the heroes, like learning what's actually going on and what has changed that future. Because so, sounds to me like you're describing a Legion of Superheroes story, <laughs> right? <laughs> but. Uh, I, I think know, it, it could just be me too. Like I'm, I'm not a big fan of this. Like I liked the Fantastic Four stuff. Like, we read a couple issues of his Shield book mm-hmm. for the show, but ultimately, I guess that kept up on him because East of West we read. What was that? East of West. We also read his indie work. Yeah, but we didn't like that. Well, you guys, we we had an argument about who Death was. Like, there was a lot to yeah. that book that you would not. You needed. You couldn't me, get it from one app. Issue. From one issue, there was a lot going on with that. Because um, I picked up the trade because I've heard I've heard really good things. Mm-hmm. I just haven't gotten around to reading it yet, which is like a lot of stuff that I <laughs> buy on Comicsology. Uh, but no, I think it's more a little bit about you, Chris, because I'm I'm excited to see what he does. I'm excited to check it out as 
any writer who I like. There's lots of stuff that Jeff Lemire lo- writes that I love and that I hate, and yeah. that's with a, a lot of writers that we follow. There's some stuff, you know, Fraction. Yeah, there and Fraction, Fra- yeah. Fraction, like everybody, even Brubaker. Brubaker is one of those guys that I love. I loved all the stuff that he's done, but sometimes his stories get long in the tooth, and I don't read all of them, but I appreciate them. Yeah. Was that it for yeah. news? I think we can wrap up. Do we care about the Punisher trailer? I didn't see it. Punisher trailer. He punishes in a trailer. Is it better than Dirty Laundry? No. (laughs) Dirty Laundry was really good. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's not better. All right. All right, so uh, let's get right into our... uh, Chris has three beers. I have three beers. Uh, So let's first get into the Week in Geek. Or the uh, the list. Let's get into the list, the comic books that are coming out August 23rd, 2017. We're so focused today. We're just (laughs) focused. There's an unparalleled amount of focus in this episode. Mm. Uh, Chris, what are you looking forward to? Um, I mentioned this book last week, I think, because I was like on the fence of like, I don't know if I'm going to buy this or not. Again, it's a really light week for me. Um, so I'm probably going to be picking up Nightwing, The New Order, number one. And this is part of a six-issue miniseries written by Kyle Higgins with art by Trevor McCarthy. Um, this was part of the team behind the Batman Gates of Gotham miniseries that came out a few years uh, years ago with Scott Snyder as well. Um, take place in the future where metahumans have basically been labeled as illegal, and Nightwing is heading up the uh, Crusaders, the team that's there to take them out. Um, but then when the Crusaders turn on Dick's family, uh, it's time for him to kind of join the resistance. I don't know if this is going to be any good, but hey, it's it's something different to talk about. That's not one of the other two books that's coming out that I always buy. So we'll see. Hmm. I'm also picking up a uh, book that involves Nightwing. That's uh, Batgirl. Uh, issue number 14. It kicks off the Summer of Lies event. Uh, it's uh, Batgirl and Nightwing uh, looking back at their past relationship and how how a new a old villain has crept back up and has uh, caused this, this dynamic duo to re-team up and uh, the emotions that have that will bubble forth from that. And I always enjoy uh, seeing those two characters together and reminiscing about their past. So uh, this is a, being written by Hope Larson, who I don't know if I've read anything. Uh, we've I think we've read her on something else before because I recognize the name. I just don't remember what it was. Yeah, well, I keep on thinking <clears throat> Hope Larson. No, that's Brie Larson who's going to play Captain Marvel. Oh, sorry. Spoiler, spoiler surface. Oh, I do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, he, she's she's I'm, married I'm, to Brian Leo Malley. Oh. She, 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 you know, from uh, the guy versus the world. Yes, yeah, Scott Pilgrim. Sc- Scott Pilgrim. Oh, okay. John looked at me like I'm like. No, well, that means nothing. Bro, I also I just rubbed my eyes really hard too. Oh. I was like this, so I was like blinky, like oh hey, when you looked up at me. She was nominated for uh, Goodreads Choice Best Graphic Novel and Comics. I don't know. No, she's actually I... been uh, writing Batgirl since um, Rebirth. Oh. And then she's done a bunch of like indie stuff too, yeah. including an adaptation of A Wrinkle in Time. I, I see that. I see that too because I googled her. Yeah, I, that's what I just did as well. Compass South, <laughs> who is a C, Gray Horses. Yes, yeah, so good. 
yeah, I, I'm interested in it. I hope it's I hope it's a fun uh, adventure and also relationshipy. Because that's yeah. I, I mean, the only reason I didn't keep up on reading Batgirl is because it wasn't the same Batgirl team on it that made me really respond to that book, where there was um, Brenda Fletcher and oh my gosh, how am I blanking on artist's name? Babstar. Babstar, yeah. Um, and at that point also, because we had Batgirl and then we had Batgirl and the Birds of Prey launch, and I was like, well, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey is going to be the same character, but with the added bonus of Black Canary and Huntress. Like, mm-hmm. That's, that's going to get my dollars. Very true. But John? Uh, John o- <clears throat> I am looking for uh, Manhunter Special Issue Number 1. Uh, the main story is the masked vigilante manhunter written by Keith Giffen, Dan DiDio with uh, Mark Buckingham on art telling the story of uh, manhunter the uh, previous to the female manhunter uh, Kate Spencer Spencer, not Kate Spade Uh, and then a uh, backup story with uh, about the demon from Sam Humphreys and Steve an art by Steve Rude and then um, it also has um about four stories of um, from Jack Kirby from different books here or there, uh, which I think feature the characters in this book. Um, and this is one of those hundred years of Jack Kirby or, or whatever they're calling it. Uh, you're seeing this on both sides. Uh, Marvel's reissuing stuff and doing characters. DC's doing the same. Um, just showing that love and support for a guy who meant a lot to comic books. And there was nothing else that interested me. Hey, the king of comics, which that that tagline got him in a little trouble, a little heat with Johnny Carson. Because uh, Johnny Carson's like, I've never heard of this guy. He's not a comic. He writes those funny books, doesn't he? He didn't know. He didn't know at all. So eventually, it got sorted out, and he's like, Oh, so not not like me, comic comic books. All right. I guess that's okay. It was a whole thing on the show for a while, Johnny Carson. Gotcha. Funny. Oh. oh, good. You know what else is funny? Having a cold and drinking. That's funny. <laughs> Chris, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking a limited release beer from Founders, and this is their Green Zebra. It is a Goza style brewed with watermelon and sea salt. And this is part of their uh, Art Prize line. Um, talked about our prize before on the show. Every year in Grand Rapids, Michigan, they have like a citywide art festival where different local businesses will put up art installations done by local artists. And then Founders always participates in this as well by having someone that works at the brewery um, do a piece of art, and then they brew a beer kind of correlating to it. And then they always donate some of the funds from the um, sales of the beer to the Art Prize Foundation. Um, so, a lot of history. Uh, pretty decent beer. I'm not a big fan of sours or goza sours, but this one's really nice and refreshing. Uh, it's a nice sour up front, but then you get a actual like watermelon sweet, and then that little bit of sea salt on the back end of the tongue. Uh, everything about this beer really melds pretty well. Um, I'm drinking it a little bit cooler, which I think definitely helps with that crispness of it. Um, yeah, solid beer. Uh, I don't regret buying a six-pack of this. This one's been sitting on the shelf, and I've been eyeing it up for the longest time. Uh, Yeah, it's something I want to try. And now hearing uh, 
a good a, a good review. Not that I've heard bad reviews, but hearing a review about it makes me want to pick the, it up even more. The closest thing I can compare to, and even in doing so, I'm going to say there's it's a slight comparison, would be the 21st Amendment Hell or High Watermelon, where it's a like, nice kind of like watermelon taste to it, but this is, I think, a lot more refreshing and crushable. Like, this is a great like hot day front porch beer. And they, they did a sour version of that beer, too, really? the 21st Amendment. I just like that. Did you have that one? I, uh, I believe I did. I don't remember. <laughs> it's not memorable if, if I have had it. So Wow. I'm trying to think the price I paid for the uh, the six-pack of this. I think it was a little bit more just because, I mean, it's kind of a specialty beer. I want to say it was around $14. Um, I don't regret it. It's uh, here. It's rocking. It's like a normal six pack price for from them. So I think it's like nine ninety nine for the six pack. Ooh, six I, pack. I, I think that's a great great price for it. Like grab it, put it in your fridge, and then crack one open like a couple hours later as you sit on your porch. Uh, it was really nice too. Is one of the beers out of this series, Mosaic Promise, uh, is now um, seven here seventeen ninety nine fifteen pack, uh, which is a nice wow. like. Six, that's a solid beer. That's. Six and a half, seven percent. Uh yeah, it's it's the rotating um the rotating uh fifteen pack. They always have all day. They've re released the um the, the Pilsner that they do. Centennial was the last one for the main summer, and then coming out of summer it is Mosaic Promise. And it's kind of crazy that they can give like Mosaic Promise, which is like a ten ninety nine six pack, a fifteen pack for seventeen ninety nine, uh, and it's you know that six percent seven percent where all these other breweries who are trying to do these fifteen packs, they can't beat what what Founders is doing, mm-hmm. and they keep trying, but they're just not doing the right beers. Like New Belgium doing a fifteen pack. Mexican lager. Huh. Uh, the only one who I think ha- comes close and actually does a good job is Southern Tier with their Overpacked, var- overpacked which is a variety pack, 15 pack, where you get a double IPA, you get a single, two, two single IPAs, two regular IPAs, a session, and a Pilsner. Um, and that's 19. They're still, <laughs> they still can't match that 17 price point, so... That's the one thing that kept me away from buying the overpacked is because I'm like, I'm going to be stuck with those Pilsners and I'm going to be stuck with, uh, yeah. you know, paying 20 bucks for, you know, for the beers that I really want to drink and then get left with the Yeah, it's meant three, for the party beer. Five, it's meant yeah. for the, hey, yeah. we're having so-and-so over. So-and-so can drink these Pilsners because mm-hmm. all he drinks is Coors or Labatt's or, yeah. you know, Molson. Give the, that guy the Pilsners. Give the uh, the Tangier the session to these people yeah. who like them a little more citrusy, and then I'll drink the New School and the Two uh, X Smash. Yeah. You know, so it's got a little bit for everybody in it, mm-hmm. which I think is nice, and th- that's why it works as a pack. Good. You know what works every episode? And now it's time for a dramatic reading presented by the Bagden Boardcast. Dark Days, The Casting, page 28, panel 1. What the hell did you do to my game? And that was a dramatic reading from Dark Days, The Casting, page 28, panel 
one. I really hope someone hears that and then's like, what? And then they go buy the book and then they're like, oh, why did I do this? Yeah. They're like, Listen to our review uh, last month for the monthly look back. Yeah, yeah, it was the last, last month's monthly look back. I tried to do a Christian Bale Batman. Yeah. <laughs> that or Bonesaw. I don't know which one. Bonesaw's ready. <coughs> and Bonesaw is also ready for his next beer. Wow. Oh, already? We talked about this beer, didn't we? Did we not no, talk about this? we didn't talk about this, oh. our beer. I'm sorry. Uh, we, we were talking about the Founders <laughs> beer, the Green Zebra, for so long. Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, like I still have some left. Like, how did that much time go by already? Uh, did I get DKML? We, I know, right? We are drinking Adult Human, uh, double IPA, <laughs> brewed with Blood Orange from Trillium in a collaboration with the Vale Brewing Company. Um... Another New England style, uh, very rounded hops, and like it's a grapefruit right in the back. Yeah, you get that right blood orange. Back. It's a sweet tart kind of the mid to back palate, ocean sprayed, and then it just like makes your mouth water from that tinge of it. Uh, the more and more you sip on it, the more and more acclimated you become to this beer, and the better it gets. Uh, in the beginning, I kind of was like, well, it's just like any other New England style with a sweet little tinge of blood orange. The more you get into it, the more that blood orange becomes more and more present on your palate. And uh, the more and more I like the beer. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy this. I like that it hits the uh, the back, you know, with that that citrus, you know, because that's what actually makes this stand out more, a little bit more than the last one we had. Like, honestly, uh, up until that citrus note hits, I'd be like, I'm not sure which one I'm drinking. Exactly. I, no, that's what I felt the same. I felt the same way. It just tasted like a, a New England beer. Um, but also 8.2%, um, really rounded smooth. You could crush this beer within a couple minutes of just sipping on it. Um, no, it's good. I, I enjoy both of them. I do think that this one is, uh, because of that citrus, stands out over the O. Mm. It's cool. It is cool. <clears throat> you know what else it's is cool. cool? The Marvel Cinematic Universe. Our next beer. Oh, wait. Yeah. Sorry. The Marvel Cinematic Universe that all kicked off with uh, with Eric Bana playing the Hulk, right? Nope. No. Nope. No. Nope. No. Nope. We're gonna go. We're gonna go after that. Oh. When Marvel was finally like, hey, you know what? Let's take this into our own hands. With uh, Electra. The great Marvel movie retrospective. Oh. Um, back in two thousand eight, Marvel released Iron Man. Um, this was their first actual property. Uh, they got their rights back in 2006 after uh, their initial deal with Universal Pictures fell apart and the movie just didn't make any progress at all. Uh, it was an exciting time for fans. It was like, wow, Marvel's finally going to be making their own movie. It's not going to be farmed out to another studio like we've had with Spider-Man at Sony, um, X-Men over at Fox, Blade at Fox, whoever did Hulk... I think Fox did Daredevil, too. Fox did Daredevil, yeah. And besides, like, X-Men, X2, and Spider-Man 1 and 2, a lot of those movies met with kind of middling or failing reviews. They just did not resonate with people. Um, Fantastic Four movies as well. Like, before 2008, we had had so many Marvel movies come out, and so many of them were just not great at all. 
So the news that Marvel was finally taking hold of their own properties and going to do them their own way was an exciting time. But also, I don't know if you guys remember this, a lot of people are like, uh, nobody's going to care. Nobody knows who Iron Man is. It was basically something that kind of set the tone for Marvel movies for like the upcoming decade. Uh, no, I agree. Um, and I have to say, whenever we, whenever a new movie comes mm-hmm. out, we're always like, all right, uh, this is in my top five. This is in my top five. This one's now, the new one is in my top five. You know what always stays in my top five Marvel movies? The original Iron Man? The original Iron Man. Because you can just go back and rewatch and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't rewatch the movie between the week that we just um, we decided this main topic, only because a few weeks ago I had just rewatched it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just rewatch it. So then I was like, oh, I don't need to do it. I just I just did it. And it was good. Uh, that's okay. I actually consider Iron Man to be one of the most important superhero movies. I mean, I think you have the original Superman movie. You have the 1989 Batman. Then I think Blade is the next one that really kind of sold, like, no, like, you can do a current superhero movie and have it work, because that's really what set the standard for the X-Men franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think Spider-Man. After that, I would say Iron Man, because Iron Man really set the tone for not just the Marvel Universe, but basically the cinematic universe that we live in today, where everything kind of has to have that shared universe. You want everything to work kind of concurrently together, because if you can sell people on one film, mm-hmm. you've now sold them on an entire slate of films. And I think that's something that we've seen struggling over at DC and Warner Brothers, and then also at Universal with their trying to do the, the Dark like, Trilogy. Universal Monsters. The like, dark yeah, Universe. Dark, yeah, Dark Universe. Sorry. But, uh, yeah, it works here because, well, it's the cat, right? It was the casting. Yeah. The Marvel actually came through all. It was This was still released as. A, it wasn't a Marvel studio. It was Marvel Studios, but it wasn't. It, Marvel Studios had a deal with Paramount. Yeah, it's yeah. released by Paramount, and it's not a. Yeah, they just they distributed it. Right. So, but and man, they went out and got Robert Downey Jr. and people were like, "Well, he's not a superhero, you know. He's he's like five something. He's he's not." I'm like, yeah, but he's a tech billionaire that deals with drug addiction. Like it just. Okay, he's a multi-millionaire. And, and that's what struck me, because it was such, like, inspired casting. Like, people who knew who Iron Man was were like, no, like, this is great. Like, mm-hmm. have that recovering alcoholic character played by someone that's kind of dealt with the stigma of his past decisions and still succeeded as an actor. Like, it, it works. Then Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, is a side-bit character, but she actually is a little bit... This is some, even going with Iron Man 2 and she even in Iron Man 3? Yeah, she's a big part in oh, Iron yeah, Man yeah, 3. Yeah, because yeah. she's the CEO and she... But I think this is... They use her the most here. She kind of goes away in Iron Man 2 and then Iron Man 3, she's a damsel in distress. She saves him in the end. Yeah. Right, right, with she's extremis. But we'll get to that later. Yeah. But also I think at that point, she's kind of the only person that can keep up with Tony. Correct. And I, I think that's important because they didn't paint her as that kind of girl Friday like along for the ride just in the background like she 
and all the scenes she shares with Robert Downey Jr., Pepper and Tony are basically on equal footing the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I never talked down to at all. It, it feels like they are definitely in the same space. In the other movies, they get farther away from that. And I, I like her portrayal as Pepper Potts here the most. I think it's the best in this one. Yeah. And then, you know, then we got, uh, like, Greg, Greg Clark? Clark Greg. Clark Greg. Agent Casper. I mean, Agent Coulson. West Wing. I know. We know. Okay. We, you've done it before. I've, I've still never seen West Wing. Um, I, I think Agent Coulson was really key in not just Iron Man, but even going forward, because he was the human element mm-hmm. in these movies. A lot of the characters that even the main characters were supposed to be related to, like Tony Stark, Pepper Potts, uh, you can say like even with Rhodey, like they're all just a little bit too good for us to be. And not saying like a shield agent isn't like more than you or I as like the general viewer, but he brought in a humanity that I think this movie mm-hmm. kind of needed because everyone else was pretty much larger than life. Uh, and then you have uh, the villain, the dude which they did a great job of casting him before he found his crazy voice <laughs> that he found playing Rooster Cogburn and then did in a ton of movies. I don't know this. Jeff Bridges does the crazy voice a lot in movies yeah. now. Oh. Uh, but also, you know, you still see him as the likable guy, but man, does he turn on a button and you're like, ooh, man, what a bad guy. Uh, and I think he does a great job of playing those two sides very well in this movie. Mm-hmm. He brings him a pizza before he, you know, he <laughs> rugs him. From New York, uh, too. It's not, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He brought it from New York. And this kind of factors into something else that I think really deserves some discussion because this is probably one of the biggest things that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has come under fire for, where it's all origin stories and then a cookie-cutter villain that's basically the mirror's reflection of who the hero is. And you can use that description for pretty much seven of the Marvel (coughs) films. I'm just throwing that number out there. It might be less. I don't know. But what we got in Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Doctor Strange, Ant-Man, it's all very much, hey, here's the hero. We're going to introduce you to them. And then, hey, everything you know about that guy... Now flip it around because this is who his bad guy is going to be. But that's that's villains in Marvel comics. That's villains and in comic that, books. That is villains in Marvel comics, and I think that they did a great job after this initial like phase with introducing better villains because they are now free from that introduction. Because you can only spend so much time introducing the viewers to who your character and your hero is going to be, develop a villain, and then pit them against each other before you have the end of the movie. But that's something that I think you can peg more on just them trying to develop the universe um, and in the writing. And I don't think you can blame any of that on the director. Also, one of the stars of the film, John Favreau, who played Happy Hogan, uh, but also kind of stepped up in a big way, previously having only worked on films like Made and then everyone's new favorite Christmas movie, Elf, uh, before he did Zathura. And then he goes to do Iron Man, which I think is a huge jump because mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone actually saw Zathura. I watched 
uh, maybe a quarter of it on TV, and then a commercial break happened, and then I found something else to watch. <laughs> I enjoyed the beginning of it. It's it's not a bad movie. I saw it in the theater because it was touted as like the like semi sequel to Jumanji, and I mean, who who wouldn't want to see that? <laughs> uh, apparently, nobody did. But yeah. I think to go from doing stuff like Made, which was basically just like a vehicle for like his buddy Vince Vaughn, uh, Elf, which is a fantastic movie. I cannot fault Elf at all. But again, it was an adaptation, so it kind of had to play in those rules. Uh, Iron Man, I think, is a huge leap forward to not just helm a superhero movie, but to do it incredibly well, and well enough that it basically launches an entire company to the forefront of entertainment. I don't think if we had Iron Man, we ever would have seen any of the Marvel movies we've gotten. And we certainly wouldn't have seen Disney step up and pay like the seven billion dollars that they pay for for Marvel as a whole. I, I would take it one step further. Uh, I think without John Favreau being like, no, it's a superhero uh, movie, but I want to make it as I want to make it felt. I want to make it feel like it's in the real world as much as possible. So I'm going to do as many practical effects as possible, and we're actually going to build a suit. We're going to build a real Iron Man suit. And it has to look like somebody can actually step in it and wear it. And like, move around in move it. Move around in it. Like, I think those choices actually, you know, grounding it in the real world and actually doing the practical effects so it actually feels like it's in the real world made all the difference. If you, you know, over CGI'd this movie and it was, you know, kind of goofy, comic booky. You know, I think we would have it wouldn't have worked because you everybody would be like, Well, Robert Downey Jr. when he was Tony Stark was awesome, but Iron Man kinda sucked, you know, when he got into the suit, it all kinda fell apart. But with those practical effects I think it really did help play that note Robert Downey Jr. was awesome as Tony Stark and also he was awesome in the Iron Man suit. The Iron Man suit worked. Yeah, and from from what I read, it seemed like John Favreau gave the actors a little bit more like play with their lines, like they could ad lib a bit, which I think shows and like the fun of this movie because yeah, it is a big budget blockbuster bracket buster of a movie, but at its core, it's it's still fun, and I think that's something that really set the tone for the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe because. Yeah, they're all big world-ending spectacles, but there's still those moments of lightness and brevity that kind of calm that tension for a bit. And Robert Downey Jr. is a great comedic actor, and a lot of people forget that he was on he was a cast member of Saturday Night Live. Oh, I did forget about uh, that. And just to say, so like, did I. Uh, Sam Winston, the great uh, special effects um, artist and his company, are the ones that made the Iron Man suits, hmm. for the first one at least. Because yeah. the first movie really is about... Uh, legacy, like what is he going to leave? He was faced with his own, his own death, and what was he actually going to leave behind? Because he's a billionaire playboy that you know is going to ride in the fun v, and but and not really care about what's happening. And he thinks he knows what his legacy is, and then he's faced with the with the villain, and you know his actual dark, you know his complicitness in it, and him saying no, this is enough. I'm going to take control of what is mine. And I think that's 
having that heart. It had that heart. It had a big villain. John Favreau made it feel like it actually exists, and it comes together well. And I think, uh, yeah, after hearing that John Favreau let people ad lib, it made it work even more. And speaking about something that works really well, uh, what are you guys drinking? Because I hope it does work really well. And actually, this is this is uh, really pleasing. This is Irish Craft Beer Onward Brewing Project. This is a 14.9 fluid ounce can. So I'm wondering if this is actually out of Ireland and th- they don't do... No, because Ireland is still on ounces. They're not on metric. I don't give a shit about metric over in Ireland. Uh, this is 11% by volume. This is our Imperial Oatmeal Coffee Cream Stout. Uh, Reb- the Rebel Stout Series. Big, bold, extreme flavor. I don't know what it's actually called other than Imperial Oatmeal Cream Stout. Uh, yeah, it's part of their. This is number one out of their Rebel, the Rebel Stout series. This is a uh, Irish uh, brewing company um, that has made this. Um, I yeah. This I, is like a porter, but not smoky. It's it's. it's, it's I, I don't know. I don't know how old this can is. There's no date on it. Um, Smooth. It, it was given Delicious. to me. They said uh, oh, I got a couple of these cans at this beer tasting. They were giving them out. Uh, I here have it, mm-hmm. and who knows how old it is? Who knows how it was this traveled? Is a, this is um, a perfect breakfast beer. I, see, I'm not. I'm not loving it. What? Uh, I did drink a lot more of the IPAs than you did. Okay. Um, so maybe I'm having trouble getting my tongue around this beer. I think it's okay. I think it masks that 11% mm-hmm. very nicely. Um, I'm not getting a lot of great flavors. I think it's, um, I, I don't know, like... I'm getting a lot of caramel oatiness to it. I'm getting caramel. I'm, I'm not getting real big things of coffee, but it's like caramel, a earthy richness, and then a little bit of oat. But again, it's that nice, all three of these beers I'm have getting, been a nice rounded now, flavor. He, I'm getting like a syrupy I, I sweet. Hmm. See, I mean, Paul is a little, a little under the weather mm-hmm. right now, That's so it could be more like he doesn't have that olfactory presence that you had with like the IPAs and stuff. Well, that's and the thing. Everything you're saying, like, I feel like is more of like that tongue and mouth feel. Mm-hmm. And if like you are a little stuffed up, that could be why you're not getting that syrupiness because you're just kind of getting more of like that mouth feel, like yeah, yeah. that caramel, the bass lines. Well, the other thing that's like with a cold is like you pull out like just. Oh, I'm I'm only pulling out two flavors yeah. out of out of something instead mm-hmm. of all the flavors, um, and I think that's what you're doing because if I got what you described out of uh-huh. what I'm tasting, uh, I'd be a lot happier about it. I'm, uh, so I'm not not that I'm not happy. I think this this is the perfect when you have a cold beer. <laughs> I can see breakfast. I can for breakfast. S- I can see this medicinal. Be- I can see this being really good. I think for 11 percent, the smoothness factor of this. Mm-hmm. Um, is there. I feel like this um, is a little long in the tooth for it, and that's where mm. the downside comes in this. It's a little, it might be a little too older, or it may have just stayed really warm for way too long before I got it. Uh, I'm not sure. But this. But I don't think, I don't, I don't want to naysay this beer having just had this one. Okay. If I were to have another one and it is a lot the same as this, I'd probably say I wouldn't drink any more from the series. Wow. I, I went in with very low expectations because cream stouts 
cream ales always let me down. And but this actually delivers on that really nice full mouthfeel kind of uh, kind of uh, experience. So I'm really enjoying this. It, like Chris said, or like you said, it might be because of my cold, but that's okay because that's that's the life that I'm living right now, and this is the <laughs> beer I'm drinking right now. Like that's like so if I'm ever feeling better and I come across it. Maybe I'll ask for a taste before I order the full, full draft of it. But Chris, what are you drinking? All right, let me set the stage. Mm. Going to take you back to the year 2014. Mm. The place, Paul's house. <laughs> Imagine. I have a Chris house. And Paul. <laughs> Chris and Paul go to consumers. They get growlers of beer for some porch drinking. Yeah. They return to Paul's house with some pizza and wings. They read comic books on the porch. What are they drinking? Was it? They're actually drinking the Elysian uh, oh. Glow IPA. Yeah, we were. We also picked this up uh, Brooklyn I... Summer Love that that day too. Not Brooklyn, yeah. uh, Victory. Victory Summer Love. Yeah. This is the last time I had this beer. Um, I I checked on Untapped, and when I pulled it up, I was like, yep, I can actually remember the day that I had this, because this is a beer that I've always looked back on fondly. Um, it's not something that I think they've kept around or brewed regularly, and if it is, it's not something that's always made its way like out to where I've been. Um, last time I had this, I still lived in Buffalo, because shortly after that, I moved to Grand Rapids, where I was for a year, and then I've been in Orlando for two years. Uh, so when I saw this on the shelf, I was like, it's a six-pack, I have to get it. Previously, um, I picked this up as a bomber bottle. Right. Uh, so the fact that they, they're they either brewing it again or still brewing it, but they're making it available in a six-pack makes me feel like, okay, they believe in this beer. And then as I was bringing out for it, I was like, man, I hope this kind of lives up to just that fond like, memory I have of it. Because originally when we could get this in the bomber and then even on draft at that consumers that was down the road, like... This was, like, my favorite IPA that summer. It was just light, really nice citrus notes on it. So going back to it, I was kind of nervous, but it's still fantastic. Like, I feel like I need to go back to my beer store, see if they still have some of this so I can pick it up, and then also see if they still have some more of the DKML, because they did the <laughs> other day when I was there. And I'm kind of kicking myself for not buying it now, but I, I feel like it's not a big draw for the Orlando crowd, so hopefully they can still find it. Yeah, uh, yeah, still not great, great beer. Still not released in New York. Fourteen percent gets you fucked up. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I looked up like on Untapped, the first check-in for this beer was at the end of January. So this can's been kicking around for at least eight months. <clears throat> but uh, other than that, let's get back into the the main topic, Chris. Where are we yeah. heading headed now? Um, I think that's something else that's kind of worth noting that this movie did. And it's something that's kind of happened before in other uh, Marvel movies. So you can't really say like, oh, no, it's because of Iron Man that this is done or being done still. Um, but two big things that I think are key when it comes to a Marvel movie now. One, a Stan Lee cameo. <laughs> He's got to be in all of them, and you have to look out for him because it just kind of gives you that sense of surprise. Like, hey, let's stand the man. Awesome. Um, he'd appeared in every other Marvel movie before this, so it's 
nothing new, but it's nice to see Marvel still paying homage to the creator of these films. Um, and then two, the post-credit scene. They existed before, but I think the Marvel movies were really what made people be like, no, you sit in your seat. And then halfway through the credits, when you see that one scene, you sit through the rest of the credits for maybe another one. And it's to the point now where if you see people standing up at the end of the movie, it's like, why? Everyone knows they do this now. And I feel like it's gotten better over the years. Like, I'm seeing less and less people stand up to leave the theater before like they get to that mid-credit scene. Almost, I, I feel like that's a distinctly Marvel thing now. Almost the entire theater emptied out during Spider-Man. Homecoming? Homecoming. So much so that I was like, on it went on my phone to make sure there was a thing at the end. And But yeah, there's a lot of times where people are getting up and like if you like my dad always like tells people like there's a thing at the end and then like, oh there is and then they sit down, but I'm like, How do you people not know? Mm-hmm. It's a Marvel well, I, it's a Marvel movie. I, I think Iron Man was probably the biggest one too because this is literally what set up the rest of the Marvel Universe, where he comes home, Nick Fury's sitting in his couch, and then just like, let me tell you about the Avengers. Uh, and that was such a huge moment, because it promised that bigger world. And, I mean, yeah, it would be a few years until we got to that point, but this let everyone know that, like, no, as a comic book fan, <laughs> we're going to try to fulfill this promise to you, because this is what these characters are, and this is where we need to go with them. Uh, yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's definitely the key thing that all the comic book movies do do, or yeah. try to do stingers now. They don't always. Um, and then sometimes the stingers are previews for just X-Men. What was... Um, it was one of the movies didn't have a stinger. It was a preview for the X Men movie. Was it? I have no idea. Uh, was it uh, Dead? No, Deadpool had the thing where it was like him walking out in the bathroom. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. Here. It was the Ferris the Bueller. Bueller. Yeah, yeah. One of them did. I don't remember which one now. And it was no, kind I, of a. I, I remember because I saw it. It might have been First Class. Because I feel like that was the last X Men movie that I saw in the theater. But it was actually like a preview for something else where it had Mystique in it. Yeah, it was um, it was another studio's thing that showed the the trailer because they had they'd worked something out. I don't remember what it was. Yeah, join us next week for when we try to remember stuff that we don't <laughs> quite remember. <laughs> yes, yes. It's but again, like I think that's also the thing that Marvel does so well is that. Just that quick little hit of like, oh, I can't wait for the next movie, or oh, I can't wait for more of this. Yeah, but uh, we didn't know when we first watched it. We're like, oh, does that actually mean that they're going to form the Avengers? Like, is that going to be a thing? Like, we didn't actually know that it would actually come to fruition. Like, that was the pipe. They laid out a pipe dream. It was a vision board. It was like. Yeah, wouldn't it be great if this could actually happen, the Avengers Initiative? And this was also before we had realized that so many other studios owned yeah. the the licensing for the movies and that the 
you know, the Spider-Man movies and the X-Men movies are not going to fall in the same mm-hmm. category as these now Marvel movies. Even though there's a Marvel banner on it, they're not going to be connected. And people still have trouble understanding that. Uh, well, why isn't Batman in the Avengers? <laughs> Dan DeDio, you know perfectly why. Uh uh, but no, like a lot of people, they, they, they think because it has that Marvel on the front, but it doesn't say Marvel Studios, it just mm-hmm. says Marvel, that that X-Men is made by Marvel Studios that are making Iron Man. And they can't understand, well, like, how come they can make that movie so good, mm-hmm. but this movie sucks so bad? Because it also says 20th Century Fox in the front. Yeah. That's, that's why. That's, that's what to look out for. Mm-hmm. As soon as you see that, walk out, try to get a refund. <laughs> <laughs> Go see something else. Um, I don't think Iron Man is a perfect movie, um, but I think it does what it does really well. Yeah. It, I mean, it has its kind of like little hang-up spots, but man, for the most part, this movie just sings. Like it's it's so well done. Like the care was there. Mm-hmm. Everyone just like seems like click with their characters, no matter how little they were given with. I'm looking at you, Terrence Howard with Rhodey. Next time, uh, baby. I mean, he's such a he plays such a good straight man to Tony, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like why why would they be friends? Because be he's his military contact. He's yeah. the guy that yeah. actually brings. He's the gatekeeper for all the other military contractors that are coming in. Like, if he wants to talk to the DoD, he talks to Terrence Howard first, and then. Yeah, it's. The thing, the, the reason they're, they're friends is because he's just the guy that's been around Tony the most, so Tony knows him. And trusts him enough. Yeah. And that's why he's, like, Tony's friends with him. The reason he's friends with Tony is, I think he got and understood... He wants to save Tony. ...who he is, and sees that there are these shining moments that he's not just this flashy <laughs> uh, dick... But he is. There is a human person there, and that when you get those glimpses, those are the best moments. And he makes him feel outside of the military, like he's still like a person. He can mm-hmm. still have fun. Yeah. The things he usually passes up on, he now has to do with Tony. Right. And I think he enjoys those. I think he enjoys being that connection to to. Tony in that world a lot more. He likes getting drunk on sake on that private plane eating mm-hmm. sushi with a stripper flight attendant. <laughs> I, I think his best scene is definitely when he's going to shoot down Iron Man before he knows what I, Iron Man I is. I like that scene too. It's like, I'm the plane. Nope. I'm, no, that's me. I'm, I'm the plane. I'm the bogey. It's me. What do you mean it's you? <laughs> like That whole phone conversation is great. That's that mo- this movie comes out just like a year after the original iPhone, like. And I, I like Cody's like flip, flip screen like texting phone. Yeah. Like I, I feel like this movie ages really well. I mean, it came out in two thousand eight, so almost ten years ago. But for the most part, like it still stands. Besides, like that little technology bit, like so much of this movie still works today. Don't, my, my only complaint is the beginning scenes with him trapped in 
Middle Eastern country. Unknown. Yeah. Unknown. Like, it go, it goes on a little long. But at the same time, like, this is what sets up Tony Stark for not just the rest of the movie, but for the next six movies that mm-hmm. Tony Stark slash Iron Man appears in. He's, so in the scope of things, it's not it's not that chunk of time. Yeah, because he's reborn in that cave. He's literally reborn in that cave. He he is almost he's on his deathbed and he gets his second chance at life and he emerges as somebody different. That's right. That cave a, a, is a, 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 li- a little different. Um, and I think that's something that's worth talking about, like in future episodes where we talk about Iron Man two Avengers. Iron Man 3, because it, it seems Tony learns a little bit, but he never really retains that knowledge. And again, like, even jumping further into the future, like, it, his compulsion, his addiction to being Iron Man is what pushes people like Pepper away from him. Right. Well, he learns a lot wrong lessons. I don't think he's not learning things. He's just taking the the wrong the wrong viewpoint but that's a great thing for you know civil war and everything yeah that comes out in age of ultron no well, i think even like most recently with spider-man homecoming too oh, like i didn't see it he's he's putting this kid in a suit and then coming out like no like if you don't have the suit like you don't deserve it <laughs> um i think this one out of even the movies that are in my top five of Marvel movies, um, I think, you know, like you said, Chris, that it's got its flaws. And I think, you know, as almost any movie mm-hmm. does, but I think uh, compared to the other movies, it has a little less than other ones. Like, they were really they were really trying, and I think they worked the hardest on this, is the, the launching of this Marvel universe, where then you go, like, into... The, the next movie, which would be the the Incredible Hulk, where there was a lot of problems going on in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this I, one, I mean, it, it's not my, Incredible Hulk's not my favorite, but I'm really looking forward to when we talk about that one because wow, yeah, uh, and I, I've watched I watched half of that movie just last week. <laughs> Again, not not for this. I was just like, oh, I'll play that while I'm doing this. You know, like I'm I'm I just did a bunch of laundry and now I'm folding it all and mm-hmm. it's just in the background while I put socks in piles and fold shirts and in. Uh, I think that's the best way to watch that movie because if you walk away from it to like hang something up and you come back to it, you probably didn't miss too much. That's one. It's it's one that I definitely say that if if we have the ability to watch it, we need to watch it to talk about it. I have it on DVD, or Blu-ray. I, I do have that one on DVD as well. It's on HBO right now. <laughs> Alright. Well, this is a kind of a fun new new uh, look back kind of thing. Uh, Chris, what are you calling it again? You're calling it the Great Marvel uh, Movie I, Ride? I wrote it down because I have my notebook today. Because uh, it sounds the like great the Great Marvel Movie Retrospective. Oh, this so, is part, uh, part one. Not the great Marvel movie ride. No, but no. it might have been inspired influenced by that in title because that ride just died at Hollywood Studios. To make way for the Mickey's Runaway Railway yeah. Ride. Ooh. Coming in twenty nineteen. Oh. Before oh. the new Obi Wan movie. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. 
Also, uh, Star Wars Land will be opening before the Obi-Wan movie, too. So there's Ooh. that. Oh, maybe they'll have a launch event. Oh. At the, at the park. The launch bay. The launch bay, yeah. yeah. Out at the uh, outer, outer, outer Rim Galaxy? What is it called? The Outer... Galaxy's Edge. Galaxy's Edge. There's a restaurant at the edge of the galaxy. There is. Bring your towel. Yep. Glad you got the reference. All right. Yeah. Rate us and review us on iTunes. You know, like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Bagged and Board. You know, the whole hey, the whole internet. Next episode's 350, guys. That's cool, right? Yeah, that is cool. I think we say this anytime we do an episode. I can't believe we made it this far. <laughs> we just haven't stopped. <laughs> Episode 351. Oh, I can't believe we made it that far. <laughs>